I'm gonna ask you to do a thought experiment with me as we come to our text this morning. I'm gonna have you imagine two scenarios. I want everybody in the room, (coughs) excuse me, everybody online to do this. So you're gonna imagine two scenarios and then I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna say, which scenario would you choose? I am not gonna ask you to raise your hand so no one next to you is gonna know which one you would choose on this. But I do want you to decide in your mind's eye. First scenario. When you wake up tomorrow, you find yourself on the way later that day to a wedding reception, dancing, songs, food, drink, joy, okay? All, All of that, scenario one. Scenario number two, you wake up tomorrow and you find yourself on your way to a funeral, a graveside service. That's grief, that's mourning, that's loss. <clears throat> so which one would you choose? Think about it. Which one would you, would you choose? I'd choose the wedding 11 out of 10 times. <laughs> 11 out of, what I said, because I would never choose the graveside and death, and the loss, and the sadness, and all that that brings. According to the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, I would make a poor choice 11 out of 10 times. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 7.2, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. So Solomon gives us at least two reasons why (laughs) this is the wise choice. Number one, death is unavoidable. No one looking at me, no one online. Me avoids death. And secondly, death is life's greatest teacher. While we would never choose the funeral, here's here's what I want you to know. John has chosen it for us. And so we find ourselves today at a funeral. And he puts us at this graveside to learn what I do believe is the greatest lesson in life the most important truth in life. And and I'm not just saying that. John would say, hey, it's not even just the most important truth in in the gospel that that I've written. John John would say, it's the most important truth in the whole Bible. That's why we broke this story, by the way, it's all of chapter 11, but we broke it in two because we wanna take the second half and pause and we want to sit in the house of mourning long enough to learn the lesson God has for us. By way of context, Rob took us through the first 37 verses last week. I hope you'll go back and watch that again. I'll remind you, we we study through these books and they're all connected, the, the messages, because it's verse by verse. Jesus learns that his friend Lazarus is ill. 
Rather than going and seeing him immediately, he pauses. His pause enables, enables Lazarus to die. Rob said, how can this be love? But then he, he just beautifully unpacked the front part of this story to show us that God's love, it's at least these three words, God's love confounds, God's love confronts, and he said God's love comes near. He reminded us that pain and grief, you all, <clears throat> are not antithetical to God's love. And we ended last week with, with, with the, a lot of people crying there was a lot of weeping and mourning. And, you know, in this setting, there would have been professional mourners there just wailing. But there were also some people there who asked this question. Look, if you have your Bibles open to John 11, look at verse 37 first. He, note, this is where it ended last week. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? What a great question, really. What's the obvious answer? I'm not trying, what's the obvious answer? The obvious answer is yes. He could have, but he didn't. <clears throat> he told the disciples why. He said, this illness does not lead to death. In other words, this illness does not <clears throat> end in death. And he says, it is for the glory of God that the son of God might be glorified through it. Now hear what he's saying here. It means that in this life, you all, death plays a significant part in revealing God's glory. I'm gonna say it again, that in this life, death plays a significant part in revealing God's glory. This is the message that we're gonna find in this, lesson, in this text at this funeral, and may I say this, at your funeral and at my funeral. Our text can be seen as these two <laughs> seemingly contradictory things. I'll put it on the screen. <clears throat> the tech, what we're gonna cover this morning, verses 38 to 44, is about the resurrection of Lazarus. So it's kind of like resurrection, okay? <clears throat> but then it immediately goes into the death of Jesus. It's like they're moving in opposite directions. We'll see indeed they aren't. <laughs> Follow along in your Bibles. I'm gonna start with verse 38. I'm gonna just hit, uh, hit a few verses at a time in this first section, <laughs> the resurrection of Lazarus. Look in your Bibles, verse 38, we read, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb, it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Now just look up at me for a When you hear these words, came to a tomb, it was a cave, there was a stone laid against it. What, do you, what does that make you think of? Easter, Easter, yes, 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 we're there. <clears throat> Later we're gonna read about these linen strips that are around him, this cloth on his head. <clears throat> the whole point is, this is foreshadowing Easter. Do you know we've been in John for a, a, you know, a long time, but 11 chapters, three and a half years of his life. Do you know at this moment, right here, John pushes the brakes. And do you know the next 10 chapters, while the first 11 were three and a half years, do you know the next 10 are just a few weeks? Something's changed at this moment. <clears throat> he tells us the same, John shall, 
John lets us know something significant is happening in another way. And, and that would be through the, through the signs. You remember, we've been talking about this. There are seven signs, <coughs> miracles, Jesus says, that are pointing to something. <coughs> and this is the seventh sign. It's the last sign. What does, what does seven mean in scripture? What does it mean? Finished, complete. This is the one that all the others find themselves in. <clears throat> John tells us that Jesus was deeply moved again. <clears throat> Rob and I talked about this last week because he didn't have time to cover this, but <clears throat> I want to touch on it this morning. That word again, like again, yeah, again. It sends us back to verse 33, look at it. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. This, this word, this deeply moved word has literally troubled translators for centuries. And, and so we, we get translations like this one, deeply moved, he was deeply moved. <clears throat> but the word itself, okay, the Greek word itself is used... It's used of a horse snorting, <laughs> i.e. it's used of anger, rage. And, and so translators couldn't see putting anger like that next to Jesus as he's weeping, but it's clearly what the word <laughs> means. Multiple scholars emphasize the word describes an outburst of anger, B.B. Warfield. <clears throat> what John tells us in point of fact is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state, not of uncontrollable grief, but of inexp inexpressible anger. True, he did respond with tears, but the emotions which tore at his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage. Justice rage, just rage. At what? At death. Tim Keller, <coughs> excuse me, says it so well. I'm just quoting from him. <laughs> he was telling this he, and, he, and, and he wrote, if you, if you raise a child and try to give that child everything and you find out someone is trying to seduce that child into taking drugs, you get mad. If you don't, something's wrong. He says, anger is a sign of love. <clears throat> the more love, the more anger. When what you love is threatened. If that's true, how angry was Jesus? You see? <clears throat> now I wanna put a qualifier on this. I wanna say it this way. <clears throat> Healthy, righteous anger is a sign of love. <clears throat> Healthy, <clears throat> righteous anger tells us that's not the way it's supposed to be, okay? And if anyone ever knew that's not the way it's supposed to be, who would it be? It would be Jesus. Death is the antithesis of God's intent for humanity. He was angry. Verses 39 and 40, Jesus said, take away the stone Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. 
for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Martha's concerned about the smell, and rightly so. <clears throat> the Jews would, would, would anoint a body and wrap it with you know, perfume, really. The Egyptians would embalm a body. Why? Because that preserves the body. <clears throat> the Jews didn't do that. They just put, they put ointment on, on the cloth. Why? To cover up the smell. It's been four days in Middle Eastern heat. They're very familiar with death. And the smell would, would have been probably unbearable. <clears throat> it tells us this. Martha didn't quite grasp what she said she believed. Why do I say that? Because earlier Jesus had said, do you understand I'm the resurrection and the life? He who believes in me will never die. And when they die, they'll, they'll live forever. Do you believe this? And Martha said, I believe. And Jesus reminds her of it again. He says, I, did, I, I told you what I was gonna do. Jesus is reminding her of her professed belief in verse 27 in order that she would now act on that belief. This is, a, this is a wonderful lesson for us in the life of faith as we follow Jesus. <laughs> Did I not tell you you would see God's glory <clears throat> because, of, because of what I'm promising? Yes, I believe. And now he says, do you believe? Because if you believe, you'll tell him to remove the stone. Now, here's the thing. Her belief required her acting on it. That's always true. <clears throat> How much of God's glory do you and I miss because our belief is a professed belief, I say, I say, I say, but, but, but it's, it's in our acts of faith. Are you guys with me? It's the step of faith that the, you see the glory of God. You see God at work. You experience it. This is just James, faith without works is dead. <clears throat> then Jesus' prayer called to Lazarus, 41 to 44. So they took away the stone. <laughs> no smell. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. How about this? Jesus had already prayed about this. It's, it, was, it was over for Jesus. He had already prayed about this. <clears throat> I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I mean, he yelled. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. <clears throat> Y'all, he only prays out loud. And may I say this? He only shouts what he shouts for the benefit of those who are there. He didn't have to do any of that. <clears throat> he did it so they would believe. Now, what did he want them to believe? He wanted them to understand he's not simply a miracle worker, but by the prayer, you see, he wants them to understand I'm the one sent by the Father. I'm talking to him right now. Do you see that? It all goes back to what he keeps saying. The Father has sent me. I and the Father are one. He's still thinking of the others. <clears throat> when he calls 
Lazarus. I get, I just get kind of tickled at this because the Greek is just, and it's just so like he called him out, he comes out and kind of the story moves on. You know, they don't really make, it doesn't make a huge deal of it. But when he, the, the Greek here <clears throat> is actually this, he, he says, Lazarus, here, out. <laughs> like, like calling your dog, you know, come, you know. It should send our minds back to chapter five, verse 28, because there you were called, Jesus said, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and will come out. It's just happened. It should kind of take our minds back you know, just to chapter 10, the sheep and the shepherd. And he said, when I speak, my sheep hear my voice. When Jesus rose from the grave, you remember his grave clothes remained on the shelf. You remember that thing that was over his head? It was all folded up, neat and tidy. Not here. See, it's very different. Lazarus comes out and probably y'all kind of mummy-ish because he's wrapped up, you know, and he's got this stuff all over him. There's a lot here. I don't have time to go into that, but it's, it, it's a different resurrection. They couldn't be more different, quite frankly. <clears throat> Jesus rose from the grave in a resurrected body, never to die again, imperishable. Lazarus is brought back to life, but I tell you something, he's in a fallen body and a broken nature and in a perishable body. And <clears throat> you know this, it goes without saying, Lazarus is gonna die again. <clears throat> from this resurrection, it, the story then just goes, it's like it's going in the opposite direction. We look at the death of Jesus. I'm gonna read the whole thing. So, so stick with me. Now we're at verse 45. We're gonna go, <clears throat> excuse me, all the way to 57. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. <clears throat> but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Note, Jesus is the great divider. Always, always. Some believed, some didn't. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. This is the Sanhedrin. This is the Supreme Court of Israel. This is the 70 men who make all the rules and enforce them. <clears throat> and they said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. This is fascinating, y'all. <clears throat> he did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one children of God, into the one children of God who are scattered abroad. Do y'all do see this? It's, it's one of those things that John gives us a little peek and says, <coughs> Caiaphas, who is gonna try and kill Jesus, God uses that man to actually say the prophecy of what God's gonna do. In a nutshell, one man will die for the nation. 
It's like he's preaching the gospel. <laughs> Who's in charge? God's in charge. <clears throat> so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. <clears throat> Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at, Passover, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, "What do you think? He will not come to the feast at all." <laughs> now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know, so that they might arrest him. This is the final sign, y'all, because this is the sign that breaks the camel's back. <clears throat> In our maybe business vernacular, you know, this is the tipping point. <laughs> we put up with him, we put up with him, we put up him. No more. This sign. Pilgrims that are going to the Passover in Jerusalem, <clears throat> they're starting to gather it's like this, not literally, but you get what I'm saying. It's like, it's like they put up wanted posters all over Jerusalem. <laughs> you know, if you see this man, <laughs> tell us, because we're gonna arrest him. No, no we're gonna arrest him and we're gonna kill him. John gives us some insight into <laughs> what was going on in the religious leaders. I think it's helpful for us, I think in our own day. <clears throat> Look again at verse 48. He says, if we let, they said, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Notice, what the, notice what's going on in them. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. If we let him go on like this, we lose. What? We lose our position. <laughs> we lose our power. We lose what makes us us. You see, we lose it all. It's odd they would say, say that because think about it. They're, they're, acting like, <clears throat> they're acting like it's great, but, but we already know this. And they even say it, they're under Roman rule. <laughs> they're in bondage to Rome. But, but it's like they go, yeah, but we're in charge. <laughs> and we want to keep it that way. Because I get life from, from this role. I get life from the position, from the, I get significance. I draw it all from what? Our, our place and our nation. And so I, I, I say this because <clears throat> before we throw them under the bus, I think we look in the mirror. And we ask ourselves, what, <clears throat> what keeps us from following Jesus? Now, when I say that, you know how we, our mission, <clears throat> follow Jesus with our whole heart follow Jesus with all that we are and all that we have. Follow Jesus in such a way that there's nothing. I'm, look, I'm not looking for life anywhere but Jesus. And Jesus gives me life when I do. But how many of us, how many of us pause in following Jesus? Because we, like them, will go, well, but if I follow Jesus, then I'll lose. If I follow Jesus, then I'll give up. If I follow Jesus, I won't See, I, I do that. But if the scripture's true, then Jesus is everything. 
and then some. We think to follow Jesus is a sense, there's a sense of give up. And yes, there is. Jesus says, you know, if you want to follow me, lose your life. But, but, but we also got to remember the other part of that. Because if you lose your life, what does Jesus say? You find it. <clears throat> we don't lose anything, really, when we follow Jesus. <clears throat> the only thing we really lose are things that are robbing us of life. <clears throat> but we think they're life. <clears throat> the key to understanding why, resurrection, why the resurrection of Lazarus and the death of Jesus are connected or found in the words of Caiaphas because he says this, he said, it's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And this is where we grasp how death and resurrection and God's glory are a package. You have to go back to the beginning of the story and I don't mean the beginning of this story and I don't even mean the beginning of John you really have to go back to the beginning of the story to Genesis, all the way to Genesis. Because <laughs> this is where it's rooted. That God created all things and put, and put man on this earth and, and humanity was in relationship with God. You guys know this story. And, and Adam and Eve rebelled. I, we're not gonna trust you. We're not gonna live by faith in you, God. We're gonna go our own way because we think there's a better way. And in that, what, 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 what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Death happened. Separation from God happened. And the devil, <laughs> I'm going through a lot of history here. From that point till now, okay, has seen death as his weapon of choice, his tool of choice. And so death has been reigning for thousands of years until Jesus. The raising of Lazarus, our text today, is a preview of Jesus' own resurrection. <clears throat> when Lazarus walks out of this grave, don't miss this, death is still reigning. It's a temporary resurrection. But when Jesus dies and rises from the grave, <clears throat> he lives forever. Death can only hold sin. But Jesus had no sin of his own. So when he paid the penalty for our sin, death cannot hold him. And he bursts from that grave. And it's what we sang. We just sang about it. That's what's true. Death's cry, death said, victory, Jesus on the cross. God said, victory, because Jesus rose from the grave. Death defeated death. <clears throat> to the story. Jesus knew that by raising Lazarus from that grave, he was sealing his own death. That's why the story goes like it does. 
they had enough, we're gonna kill him. In a few weeks, he'll be on a cross. Remember the question at the very beginning? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Yes. (laughs) I wanna suggest the real answer is this. Jesus has something far, 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 far more important and significant to do than keeping Lazarus from dying. Jesus's purpose was not to come so you and I wouldn't die. We're all gonna die. It is to die himself is why he came and be raised from the grave in order that those who put their trust in him, and now that you're in Jesus because you trust him, you see, then when you do die, you live forever. You actually begin to live and live a life that will not end. You're alive as God always intended. In his presence. Forever. And in this, do you see? God is glorified. What do you mean glorified? I mean, uh, his, his love is just magnified. Dying for sinners. His grace is just explodes. Mercy for those who don't deserve it. His justice is vindicated because sin earns death. But he satisfies his own justice. His power. No one one has the power of life but God. That's why I said earlier that the message John wants us to see in this story, which I'm (coughs) trying to explain, it's the message of the whole Bible. While none of us would have chosen a funeral, John chose it, the Spirit chose it, you're here, we're at a funeral. And so I'm gonna pause here and let us sit in it. We need to take what the grave tells us to heart. Now, (coughs) I have struggled all week, right up to this morning, and how to land the plane in terms of application. And there's just so many applications here. And I hope the spirit brings many to you. But there's just this one that it's just got on me in a sense. And I trust the spirit has it for us. I've thought a lot about death over the last two weeks. Just because I'm in the passage. <clears throat> because I stood last Saturday over here and did a memorial member of our body because as I was preparing yesterday Joe was here working because we had another funeral for a member of our body truth is we don't think about death enough actually in Jesus's day and honestly all for most of the world up to maybe a hundred years ago death was a door on your doorstep Death was a part of life. It was, death was a part of life. It, it just happened all the time. <clears throat> Families in community, grandparent dies, parent dies, a sibling dies, infant dies. All members of the family are right there around death. We're, we're not. 
It's a rather modern experience and quite frankly, very Western, you know, for for us even today. Medical and technological advances have us no longer accepting death as a part of life. Right? And I want to be so careful as I say these things, y'all, but but we're at a, you know, I won't accept death as if we can hold it off. And I'm not saying don't try to live, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's interesting that we have, we, and I say this in our culture, and, and me, you know, we, we want to bury death, pun intended. We, we just don't want to deal with it. We want to put it off as long as we can. And, and again, I, I, I understand that. <clears throat> but there's something askew in our pursuit of extending life as long as we can. And I ask you to consider this thought with me. The message of the entire Bible is that Jesus died so that all who trust him when they die will spend an eternity in his presence. And this is, and in this, God is most fully glorified in this. Tells us that the life to come a renewed heaven, a renewed earth, a place there's no death, no sin, no sorrow. <clears throat> That's God's purpose for us, and that is our future. So every person's lifespan, whether it's you know <clears throat> 50 years, 100 years, Methuselah, 900 years, whatever, <clears throat> they're a blink. They're the breath. <laughs> they're a vapor. I don't care how many years. That years can't compare to eternity. So we, we work to delay what is infinitely better. Again, please hear me. If, like sometimes I teach things and I go, oh God, if I, was in, if I was in a different situation, would I be saying that? And I don't know, but I'm just telling you, this is what the Bible teaches. I'm going to invite the worship team out. I'm going to give you two more images that I'd ask you to hold. You know, there's a generation right now that is deconstructing their faith at record rates. And I do think this deconstruction, you know, just taking your faith apart. And that's always happened. It's okay, in fact. It's, it's, in fact, it's healthy for our kids to, <clears throat> you know, deconstruct it. And prayerfully, I pray they put it back together. But many deconstruct it and never gets put back together. And, <clears throat> you know, I do know, I do know in, in you know, in, in, in so many circles, it's, it's in part because the church has so poorly handled many things. I, I, I get that, but there's really nothing new under the sun. I do know for Lisa and I, you know, teaching our children, we, we realized that our teaching moments in a sense ended, you know, really <clears throat> a long time ago. Our kids are adults. <clears throat> and I was just thinking about, man, what do, <clears throat> how, do we, how do we help, help these, this next generation put their faith together, hold their faith, come to faith? I do not mean to be morbid when I say this. Perhaps the most important message we'll give the next generation regarding God, faith, Christ, scripture, truth, 
will not be how we live, but how we die. How we die. Now, don't miss this. You cannot die well if you don't live well. So, you know, you don't, don't separate it totally. You can't. They go together, but you understand what I'm saying. How we die. What's the message that we send in our dying? I've got these two images in my mind about my death. What do I want, you know, Lisa or kids to see or hear from me? What image do I want them to take into their future? If the Lord takes me, you know, before them even. I've got one picture of a person on vacation, the best vacation ever but it's coming to an end. And there's just this sense of reluctance because you kind of know what you're going back to is not as good as where you are. There's one picture, quite frankly, of being on death's door, you know, and I get it. Hear me, I don't want to die I don't want to leave Lisa. I don't want to leave my kids. But that, that tension, you see. I got another picture, though. I've got this picture of my kids, our kids, sitting, sitting on the stairs Christmas morning. They're just inching down because they cannot wait to see what they're getting. And so I want, let me tell you the picture I want. I hope that my family sees in my eyes, or or even if I can't say it, I I don't know how I'm going to die, whatever, that they would sense I'm on the stairs. It's Christmas morning. I'm one breath away from all I was made for. Again, I don't want to leave this, but, but if the Bible's true, the Bible says what I'm made for is more than even this, that Jesus is more. I'm preaching to myself right now because I need to believe that, and it says he is. He says he is. Solomon says there's a message at the grave. And I want you to sit in that. Bow your heads, close your eyes. What do you want the picture to be? When you're dying, what do you want those nearest you to know in their gut?
there will be a moment in each of our lives when we die. The light of life goes out and death proclaims victory. But we know Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave so that he himself would be put in the grave because Jesus is the only human being whom the grave cannot hold. And the Bible tells us it will not hold anyone who puts their trust in him.